everybody else's kids are angels, um, except for Jeremy's. Uh, <laughs> but but my child, on occasion, I have to I have to break out the discipline, and and I've discovered that the worst punishment I can administer to my child is to take away television or screen time. And and usually it elicits more weeping and gnashing of teeth than spanking. Then my my wife adopted a, a, a very colorful punishment from Anne, which is the washing your mouth out with vinegar. Um, and and that doesn't get as much emotional response as screens. Um, and the thing that happens is so so what'll happen? And right now we're in the middle of an extended screen time punishment. And, and I've realized that what happens that when he loses screens, one sentence comes out of his mouth over and over and over and over again. You know what it is? Dad, can I have screens back? Dad, can I watch? Dad, can I, can I play on my iPad? Dad, can I... And, and then it'll, like, when he realizes that asking over and over again isn't going to work, he transitions to the more clever. I was just thinking about how hard it is to lose screens for so many days. Or, Dad, I was just thinking about how wonderful it would be to spend time just you and me watching the Avatar cartoon together. And how much it would mean to me to watch that with you. And, and I'm standing there like, all right, look, I'm... I'm not that smart, but, man, you've got to give me some credit, okay? <laughs> you know, and, and our older kids are a little more sophisticated. They'll ask me, and then they'll ask Jess, or they ask Jess and realize they should have asked me first because I usually say yes, and, and, and my wife is wonderful. Um, but they, they do this where they ask, and they ask, and they ask, and they ask. They are single-minded in, in seeking after what it is that they want, right? Um, is that just mine? Nope. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just because yours haven't completely learned to talk yet. Um, <laughs> um, I we're going to be we're we're continuing in the book of Acts. So we're going to be talking about prayer. And actually, I I Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke wrote the book of Luke, um, <laughs> and and he includes an account of a parable. And I don't think it's actually elsewhere in the Gospels. I just wanted to share it with you. Uh, uh, real quick, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. In, in my story of Titus, I'm that judge. And there was a widow or a poor abused child in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, and I, it's a real thing to say, I don't, you know, hey, you know what, I don't fear God, I don't care what anybody thinks, but even though I don't fear God and I don't care what anybody thinks, yet because of this widow, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't come, eventually come and attack me. Now, the idea here is I'm not going to get any sleep until I give this lady what she wants, Right? And she's a widow, which means she was married, so she learned this tactic from somewhere. Um, but eventually he gives in. He's like, I know, that was awful. I'm a terrible person. Eventually he gives in. He says, all right, fine, fine, fine. I'll give you what you want. Just stop asking. Just stop asking. 
And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Um, This parable and the idea here is um, when we come to the Lord, when we come to God, when we come to Jesus and we pray, um, we're supposed to keep asking. Everybody with me? There are times that God does not answer immediately. There are times he says no. There are times that all sorts of things happen. Um, But the direction isn't, um, you know, the direction here is specifically because prayer um, is effective. And beyond that, prayer changes us. And as we dive into Acts, like Acts over and over again, over and over again, over and over again, what we're going to see is that Acts is all about prayer and how the Holy Spirit acts through prayer. Like we, we see the Holy Spirit acting like, like um, one of the things that we talked about last week. And in this entire series, we've been looking at um, what it means to be the church. What the church looks like. What our mission is. What our purpose is. What our actions are supposed to be. The whole nine yards. And so we're transitioning into Acts, which is the birth and growth of the church. Right? Um, I, I read a story. I actually have this book um, in my bathroom with uh, quotes given to the author by different book owner, bookstore owners, right? And there's this, uh, there's this quote in there where this lady walks into a bookstore and says, I, I, what, the, the Harry Potter books, what's the second Harry Potter book? And the bookstore owner says, oh, it's such and such. And I actually don't even remember which one it was. Um, and she says, well, I'd like that one. And he says, well, have you read the first one? Well, no, I haven't read the first one. But you know what they do? They always spend so much time in the first book giving you background and everything else, and the story isn't interesting until you get to the second book, so I'm just going to skip the first book from now on and jump right into the second book. Like, are, are you sure? Yep, this is going to work for me. So then a week later, she comes back with the, first book, or with the second book complaining, I'd like to return this. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know who any of these people are. I doesn't, you know, what did she do? Skip the first book. Acts is the first book of the church, and we get a whole lot of idea as to what the church is supposed to look like and how they're supposed to act and what we're called to do from the book of Acts. And so as we work through the book of Acts, it's, it's important that we pay attention to what the church does because we get this very clear vision of some of the core elements of who we're supposed to be as the church. Um, the book of Acts was written by Luke uh, in the early church. It was actually called Second Luke. Um, it's probably, there's probably supposed to be a third book, but I think Luke probably got executed before he wrote it. Um, so in the first sermon in the book of Acts, we looked at Jesus leaving and we're actually going to cover some ground again. I apologize, but I don't, um, because it's, it'll make sense when we get there. Um, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. So he gives them the great commission, tells them what their job is. If you really want to know about this, watch the sermon from last week. It's on Facebook. Um, or you can listen to the podcast or whatever. Like, you can, you can go back and check this out. I'm going to recap the whole thing because I've already spent ten minutes, seven minutes, talking. Uh, and I'm just getting to the text. So, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Um, stood beside them. 
Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Um, Okay, so real quick. And we did this, but I didn't really dig into it, and I wanted to do a little more with it. They're out there. They watch Jesus ascend into heaven. Clouds cover him. He is gone. And they're standing there staring up into the sky, right? Because what else are you going to do? I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't talk to people very often and then have them, like, levitate and go, right? And if I did, I would probably, it's like, did you ever lose a balloon as a kid? And you spend the next 35 minutes like, is that little red dot, is it coming back? And, and the disciples, in no particular order, like, remember in the last passage, they, right before Jesus left, they said, all right, Jesus, when are you going to break out the swords and kill the Romans? And he's like, are you people kidding me? Like, <laughs> I, I'm coming back, don't worry. And I, when I come back, everything will be set right. But, like, you have a job to do, right? And so they are super focused still, despite everything. They've seen Jesus die for their sins. They've seen him raised from the dead, conquering the grave. They've seen all of this stuff. And um, they're in this spot where they're still like, all right, now do we get the government? Now do we get earthly power? Now do we get, you know, influence and control? Now do we get, you know, Jesus is like, stop, 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 stop. And so they're standing there, staring up into the sky like, well, I, I guess, I, I, what, do we, what do we do now? And these men in white appear next to them, right? Probably angels is generally the assumption. And they say, men of Galilee. Now, first off, this emphasis is important. Why? Because Galilee is like the West Virginia of Israel. It is two miles away from the middle of nowhere, right? Um, and actually, I, I, the first day I was in Big Sandy, I walked around the neighborhood, and I, I uh, walked up to the edge of town over there, and I took a picture of the horizon, and I posted it on my Facebook, and I think my uncle responded, wow, you found the middle of nowhere, and you live three blocks away from it. <laughs> and, and I thought it was funny. But he's reminding them, guys, you're from Galilee. You're from, like, sticks. You're from nowhere. You have a job to do, and that job is the entire world. You don't have time to hang out here and stare up into the sky, right? Now, I'm going to pause here, and I don't think this is necessarily where the author was going with it. I'm going to offer something that jumped out at me. They're really, really concerned with the world around them. And they're staring up into the sky like, all right, God, what now? What are you going to do? You're going to, you know, they're ready for something to happen in the here and now. And they're ready for something to happen in the moment. And instead, these guys in white, the angels, we're going to call them, um, he says, they say, listen, he's coming back. He just told you he's coming back, but it ain't right now. And one of them was probably a smart aleck and said, well, but he said nobody knows. So we could stand here a little longer and stare upward. But the angels say, listen, you got work to do, right? The funny thing is the assignment they were given was to go back to Jerusalem and hang out until the Holy Spirit shows up. And so the work that they had to do was go back to Jerusalem and wait, which is funny, right? All right, guys, get moving. You got waiting to do. This is the opposite of how it happens in my house. I got up this morning. I took the dog for a run. I did all the stuff I had to do. And my wife said, all right. Eric, can you see if the kids have gotten dressed yet? And I open the door, and my daughter has an armful of toys, and she's walking out of the hallway, and I'm like, 
Abby, have you gotten dressed yet? And she says, I'm going to get something. Have you gotten dressed yet? No. <laughs> you know why? She wasn't do would not doing what she's supposed to do. And that's most mornings, right? Like, kids, get dressed. Kids, eat your breakfast. Kids, feed the dogs. Kids do this. Kids do that. Like, there's stuff to do. But the stuff they had to do was wait. And, now watch this. We're going to jump into the next text. All right. So they're um, at the Mount of Olives, which is just up the hill. They walk about a half a mile or a mile or what have you. It's a really short walk over to Jerusalem. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. A Sabbath day walk from the city, meaning it is really close, right? And I've stood on it. You can see the city from there. It is not that far. Um, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Now, there's a really interesting thing that happens here. This is the last time that almost all of those guys get mentioned. They're all about to exit the story, except for Peter, James, John, and Andrew are the only guys that like become, they become the main focus of the story. Everybody else left. And it's actually roughly the order we see Luke list the disciples earlier in his gospel. And so like we see where they're listed here, right? Except that he moves the four, right, to the forefront. That was a pun. Um, so he moves those four to the forefront. Why? Because the story is about to be about them. The story is about to shift and focus on them. Does that mean that the rest of them don't matter? As a matter of fact, it does not. The other guys, so that's 11, and 11 minus 4 is 7. That was a test. <laughs> um, so the other seven guys, it was a total mistake. They were losers and didn't do anything. Right? No. The other seven guys, again, we've talked about this before, all died martyrs. They all went somewhere and preached the gospel. There are a couple of these guys that went all the way to India and preached the gospel. And there are a couple of guys who went all the way, like, past Egypt and preached the gospel. And there were guys who went down to Ethiopia and preached the gospel. And they were all over the place. There were disciples who were killed pretty much on every known continent at the time preaching the gospel. But they don't come up again. That's important. And I'm going to tell you why in about five minutes, okay? So don't worry. We'll get to it. But it matters. Um, so all of them are there. They all, they all joined constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Um, so they hurry up and wait. And what do they do while they're waiting? They prayed. Right? They prayed. Why does that matter? Because prayer is the lifeblood of the church. I, uh, I had to do a uh, class in seminary. It was one of the few classes that I thought was infinitely practical and amazing. It was called The Spiritual Aspects of Church Growth. And they had you do things like pick something out, like related to ministry, and fast and pray until it happened. Right? It was kind of cool. And one of the things that they did, there was a historical survey, um, and I actually have the, have the book. I printed it up from, from the Internet. Like, it was a PDF I downloaded, like 300 pages. And it was a historical survey of every major 
like church explosion revival that has ever happened, right? Um, and every single one of them has one thing in common. Anybody want to guess? They prayed like crazy before it happened. They prayed like crazy before it happened. They prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, sometimes for years. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit moved. Guess what? Prayer is effective. And it's effective for a handful of reasons. First off, because it changes us. It teaches us to rely on God in everything. It teaches us to look to him, not just to stare up. Right? Because that's a habit we get into. We get into the habit of staring up. I, uh, I In college, I had this experience where my car broke down, and I, I was overwhelmed, frustrated, and angry trying to get it running. And I was out there working on it for like three hours, and it's raining, and it's dark, and I was overwhelmed. I was so mad. It was an old 70s car. I punched the dashboard and shattered it. You remember how the vinyl used to get all... And, and, I, and then I was, like, getting out of the car to call a tow truck, and I was furious. And, and I, I stopped, and I'm like, oh, I haven't prayed about this. And it made me mad to even think it. And I prayed for, like, a sentence. And these guys, like, pulled up in their car and fixed my car. Like, wouldn't even talk to me. And, and when I asked them, like, hey, the, the whole story is much better. I'm, this is the short version. Um, who are you guys? The, guys? the guy who was driving a little Toyota who was really, really drunk said, We're from God. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. In that time, like, so that was 25 years ago. I was about to ask how long we were married, but not that foolish. Um, That was was because I already know. I didn't need to ask. (laughs) 25 years ago, in the last 25 years, I have owned more lemons and more $300 cars than I can tell you about. And I have, on many, many occasions, found myself sitting on the side of the road with a car that would not move. And I have many, many times said, all right, God, I know you can do this. You did it before. You know how many times that's happened again? Big goose egg. You know why? Because God didn't will it at the time. However, I know he can answer those prayers. And so I know when I'm stuck... God is doing something, and I need to trust him. So prayer changed me. Prayer changed me to teach me that God is capable, but God is sovereign, which is a word I don't like. Um, The church today, what is it? This is from E.M. Bounds. I, I, uh, I picked up this quote. What the church needs today is not more machinery or, or better, not new organizations or more no, novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men, of, men mighty in prayer. Um, I think that one of the things that we miss in the book of Acts, because it's got so many flashy scenes and excitement and angels and earthquakes and like awesome stuff that happens, is how much time everybody spends praying. They ask. They're like Titus coming to me over and over again. Dad, can I watch? Dad, can I watch? Only in our world it's Abba, Daddy, can you touch my neighbor? Abba, Daddy, I'm struggling with this sin. Can you reach in me and make me new? 
Abba, Father, help me to trust you while I'm hurting. Help me to trust you while I don't understand what's going on. Help me to trust you when no one will show up and help me change his tire when my spare is flat. Not that that's happened. Lord, help me. Prayer is our first resort. You know why? It's our biggest gun. It is our most powerful response. Does it mean that God always answers prayer? Actually, I think he always does. But I think sometimes it's wait. Or sometimes it's no. But I do think we're supposed to go back and pray over and over and over again. Just a quick aside. Um, there are a large crowd of women included with the disciples here. Um, and Jesus' brothers, these are his biological brothers, because amazingly, Joseph and Mary had like eight more kids. Okay? And so that whole Mary was a perpetual virgin thing, you know, and Joseph was the greatest saint of all time is not true. Like, Jesus had a bunch of brothers. Um, and so they're all there. They're all praying. These are all people who saw the, like, risen Lord, and they prayed. And they prayed constantly. And they prayed for roughly six weeks, because that's about how long it took for the Holy Spirit to get there. So we jump on. In those days, Peter stood up amongst the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Um, I've always flown over this little bit of text, um, but basically Peter gets up and says, all right, guys, we've got to replace Judas, right? Got to go back to 12. Why? Probably has something to do with the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Is it a standard for the church? No. Do all churches have to have 12 leaders? No. Do all boards and deacons and committees and everything else have to have 12 members? Absolutely not. It is descriptive, not proscriptive. Prescriptive? Whatever. All right. Um, he says, listen, but here's the thing, like, and this stood out to me. He was one of our number, and he shared in our ministry. I think Peter's a little brokenhearted. I mean, Judas walked away and betrayed him. Judas did the unthinkable. Um, and then Luke goes on. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Wow, it's October. Um, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in the language of Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For Peter, for said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place in leadership. Those are two quotes from Psalms. They're unrelated Psalms. It's kind of a weird collection of um, of prophetic things from the Psalms, but like that's what he says. All right, real quick, an aside, and I know I'm going long, I, but this is interesting. Um, how did Judas die? Like it says that he fell open, right? Like he fell headlong and his intestines open and he spilled all over the ground, which is super gross. But we also know that Judas hanged himself, right? And that somebody else bought the field using Judas's money. And so what's going on here? Um, in a bit of harmonizing, I'm going to offer an explanation. 
It is probably the case that when Judas threw the money back into the temple, ran off and hung himself, the temple said, hey, we can't use that money. It's blood money, which is ironic because it's the money they gave to Judas to get him to lead them to kill Jesus, right? So, like, total hypocrisy there. But they take the money, they buy the field that Judas eventually hung himself in, and they don't don't touch him because he's hanging there dead. He hangs there dead because touching a dead man is gross. It also makes you unclean. Judas hangs there for a certain amount of time. His body begins to bloat and then pop, right? I know it is awful. I'm harmonizing because I think it's important because I'm guessing at least one person in the room said, wait a minute, I thought Judas hung himself. Um, And so then nobody wanted to go near the field at all because they're like, man, that's covered in Judas guts, right? Nobody wants to touch that. It is the field of blood. Um, In addition, if you go near that sort of thing, it made you ritualistically unclean. And so there was probably a period of time where nobody went there and nobody touched it and nobody went near it because it was notorious for its association with Judas. Now, may another take his place in leadership. So then Peter sets out and the disciples, they say, all right, we're 11, we need a 12, right? Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living amongst us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become witnesses with the rest of us of his resurrection. Now, real quick, um, the apostles, right? We've all heard that phrase, apostle. You've probably actually heard of some televangelist who says, I am the apostle, James Stewart. Right? Apostle is misused in that setting. Apostle means witness. It is an office in the church that is exclusively associated with people who saw the risen Lord on earth between this point and this point, um, with the exception of Paul, who saw the risen Lord after the fact. Right? And Paul says, as of one unnaturally born, meaning I was born weird, I'm not like the rest of the apostles, but I definitely saw the risen Lord. Right. So the office of apostle is created here. Everybody who saw Jesus raised is one of us. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know, everyone's heart. Show us which of these two have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Man, that is a really harsh statement. Um, then they cast lots and it fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles real quick. They looked, they thought they suggested names. They say, all right, here are our two strongest choices. This guy with too many names and Matthias, which one? And everybody had their arguments. And so they did what every good church does. They flipped the coin I'm not suggesting in January that we change our voting procedure, but I'm not saying it's unbiblical. Um, Actually, decision-making in the Old Testament is often made by flipping a coin or casting lots or drawing a rock out of a thing or getting a stick with a little mark on it or whatever. You know, you drew the short straw, you're the apostle. Good luck. Um, They would do that because they would say, We don't see the right way to go. God will decide. Flip a coin. And God will decide where the coin lands. Why don't we do this now? This is actually the last time this practice is mentioned in the New Testament. 
After this, the Holy Spirit shows up. And every time they have a tough decision to make, they pray until the Holy Spirit tells them what to do. And they search the scriptures until they find what the Holy Spirit has given them in the scriptures to do. Because at the heart of every church, prayer is the key to growth. Prayer is the key to life. Prayer is the key to everything. And these passages seem really unconnected, but they're not. Because the recurring theme is, don't look up, pray. Right? Don't look for your practical reasons. Don't try to control the local government. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't worry about when Israel is going to be reestablished. Don't, 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 don't. Pray and look for God to act. Look for God to direct. Eventually it is pray and the Holy Spirit will respond. None of that stuff works now. It absolutely does. Um, I can tell you a hundred stories. I think if you went around the room, you'd probably find a thousand stories. The Holy Spirit responds to prayer. The church breathes in prayer. If fellowship collapses, it's because we're not praying for each other enough. If we get to the point where we resent each other, we resent each other because we're not praying for each other enough. If we are confused about where our life is going, it's because we're not praying. If it's, I hit a point, like, and I get this, like, I will get distracted and I'll get on 100,000 other things. Anybody ever do this where everything in the world is so important and everything is so cloudy and confused and I'm so busy and I forget about reading and I forget about my studying and I forget about serving other people and I forget about loving that jerk across the street. I, I don't dislike my neighbors, actually. That's Ronald and Donald and they're not jerks. Um, I, it's because we lose sight of prayer because prayer is how we breathe as believers. It is us coming back and talking to the Lord. If I stop talking to my wife, my marriage will collapse. If I stop talking to the Lord, my spirit will die. Prayer over and over and over again. And so then Matthias gets picked. Now, there are some folks who look at this and they say, Matthias disappears from the text. You never hear about him again. And so they made a mistake. Paul was the real replacement. It's just that they didn't wait for God to tell them. To that I respond, that's pretty much baloney because there's no scriptural support for it. And Matthias went and established the church in Ethiopia and was eventually flayed alive. That's where they hit you with whips until you don't have enough skin to hold yourself together and you die. Matthias was not a wrong choice. He was God's choice at the time. Why did I add that? I added that because we need to understand that just because somebody doesn't get like immediate recognition and fame, it doesn't mean that God didn't work with them. Um, and over and over and over again, and this is where I'm going to close. It's where I closed more or less last week, and it's where I'm going to close next week. I'm going to give you the advance so you can skip next week. No, you can't. Um, <laughs> the church needs to pray. God responds to prayer. We grow in prayer. We learn to love people in prayer. We learn to serve each other in prayer. I don't think Jesus washed his disciples' feet like until after he had prayed, if I'm not mistaken. Um, communion was first served after praying. Jesus would get done with ministry for the day, and he'd go away by himself to pray. Prayer is at everything. Jesus raised uh, Lazarus from the dead. I believe he prayed right beforehand. Like prayer, 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 prayer. Why? Because it is the central component of spiritual life. Like, we grow in our faith because we study and we pray. Um, I have discovered that my dog will eat anything that comes out of my hand, no matter what it is. I watched my wife drop a piece of spinach on the floor, and the dog ate it. 
And whenever I have a sandwich, the dog will do one thing. You know what it is? Watch me. He will follow me around and intently stare at my sandwich. And I'm like, all right, puppy, my eyes are up here. Knock it off. And he's like, man, I can't stop. I'm just looking at that sandwich. Martin Luther said that one day he's eating dinner and his dog was watching this hunk of meat on his plate. And he said, you know what? I wish I could be halfway like my dog and staring at the Lord in prayer the way that he stares at my dinner. And that's my encouragement for you. That is my challenge for you. And that is my prayer for you this week, that you would walk out the doors today and that you would pray. If you feel angry about something, pray. You watch the news and you hear about some nonsense in the election or on the national news cycle or this jerk tweeted this or this person said that and you start feeling overwhelmed, what do you do? Pray about it. Why? Because prayer is everything. Do you get saved by praying? No, you saved by faith in Christ. But being a new creation in Christ means you pray. And so walking out the door... Stare at God in prayer the way that my dog stares at my dinner. And eventually I throw him some every time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, above all in everything that we do, um, I pray that we would be a people of prayer. That when we're frustrated with each other, that we would pray. Lord God, if, if you commanded us to pray for our enemies, then our brothers and sisters in Christ deserve it ten times more. I pray that we would be people whose hearts turn to you constantly, that, that we would be, it would be people who breathe our prayers and pray constantly. In Christ's name, amen.